It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk, or whatever time of day it is for you when you happen to be listening to this show. But thank you so much for being a part of Talent Talk. And, you know, I've been saying this a lot lately, but uh, this show has two awesome guests. And I, I feel like we're just doing it, we're killing it on booking some really awesome people lately because the show has just been jam packed with some super guests. And today is no exception. And it's really one of my favorite things to. Pull someone aside, somebody who's got important things to say, who I think is really smart, who might be doing awesome things or, or maybe accomplishing something that I would like to accomplish or think about, and maybe try to get them to give me their secrets, right? Tell me what things they like to do, like to think about, what are they reading, what have they read. Uh, and these are all things that I would do for years at conferences or on the phone. And, and eventually, I decided probably be a lot better if we put this on the air, right? It'd be let everybody listen in on the conversation and let me not be the only person who gets to hear these amazing bits of wisdom and and hopefully maybe some thought-provoking ideas at the very least added a few great books to your of books to read this year. I've had so many amazing stories come out of these interviews in the show. I put a lot of them in my first book called The Power of Company Culture, where really in the beginning of this podcasts of some seven years ago, we really were focused a lot around culture and understanding what people were doing with their cultures. And I discovered some very common truths among so many of the guests that we I kind of make that a book. So you can pick that up wherever you get your books online, Amazon or whatever. And then of course, I started the next book, Remote Work. And if before the pandemic, you could say I'm a visionary or you could just say I was lucky. I will tell you, I was just lucky. Um, that I started writing that before it was even sort of so mainstream. Um, but that book's about to come out here at the end of May. We have some really cool uh, promotional things going on for pre-orders. So you can visit chrisdyer.com slash remote work promo if you're interested in buying 10 or more books. Otherwise, if you're just in for one, well, we'll have you do that come late, late May. Um, but there's more stories there as well from great guests in really talking about how they dealt with the pandemic, how they adjusted their workforce and how they're planning on keeping remote and hybrid work that they have finally seen the light that many of us have seen that how much better it can be, how allowing flexible work can give you better employees and better balance and better productivity and so many things. But anyways, we'll talk probably more about that later or in the show. Um, you know, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, uh, you know, I would say a good handful of you tune in live. So thank you. But most of you, the other some 10,000 downloads we get a day are through the podcast. So 
iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, just go there, subscribe. That way you make sure that you get every episode sent to you and you can listen to the ones that are of interest or share them with whoever. Uh, we really appreciate all the love. And the final little bit of business here is we do live tweet. Uh, so you can follow at PeopleG2 on Twitter, or you can try to follow along with the hashtag Talent Talk. Um, my uh, social media gurus, they're out there live tweeting. They're even feeding me questions that come in live to the show. And if it's after the fact, that's cool. We love to interact anyway. So my guests, if they've got Twitter handles, we'll tag them there and we will interact with you with any questions or comments. And of course, put the links to profiles, links to books, anything important that you wish you would have written down. We're probably going to write it down for you there on Twitter. So follow along as we go. All right. My guests today are uh, Margie uh, McCam. Hopefully I'm saying that right. All right. And uh, Chief Freedom Officer at Learning to Go. That's all one word, Learning to Go. Uh, and author of AI in Talent Development. Uh, capitalize on the AI revolution to transform the way you work, learn, and live. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Char uh, Charlie Judy in, uh, uh, excuse me, Intelligent Medical Objects and Chief People and Culture Officer. Uh, excited to talk to him after the commercial break, but let's go ahead and bring in Margie. Margie, welcome to the show today. Hi, Chris. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It is Margie Meacham case. You, it, if you've yeah, ever heard of one of the shows, you'll know that I'm famous for screwing up people's names. I think someone's name could be like, and, and I would still mess it up. <laughs> I would say something else. So uh, I was famous for years for saying, I don't know if you know the sandwich shop to goes, but I, we, everyone used to call it mm -hmm. Togo's. It's not yeah. Togo's, it's to goes, but anyways. Oh, so, I always called it Togo's too. So yeah, it's to go. good just, company. Yeah. Just like just like your name, learning to go, right? It's not right. To, not to go, it's to go. So yeah, uh, yeah. So let everyone know kind of more about you. What's important for us to know about you, your company, and what you're doing to kind of set this conversation up? Sure. So I help organizations apply neuroscience and AI to enhance performance. And um, some people ask me, well, how can you do both? Well, they're really two sides of the same coin, and they've been converging for quite a few years now. And as a matter of fact, I was probably on the early side of recognizing that. The scientists are working together because they help each other. So a neural network is a neural network, whether it's made of silicon or, or a carbon-based biological organism. And so we're learning a lot from each other in those fields. My background as an instructional designer made me really curious about how people learn and how we can help them learn better. And that's when I started getting in, involved in following the research and distilling it into actionable things so that all my colleagues didn't have to spend that time reading the research and talking to scientists. They could work with me and immediately implement things that we know work that are based on the evidence. So I come at it from that perspective. I actually got interested when I was a little girl because first grade, you're supposed to learn how to read, right? I couldn't do it. Nobody knew it then, but I'm dyslexic. And mm. Once I realized that, which wasn't until much later, um, I was actually in college and I was learning how to be a teacher. And I said to one of my professors, hey, I think I might be dyslexic. We were studying learning disabilities. She said, oh, trust me, you'd know if you were, you would have found out long ago. But no, it turned out I am. And once I realized my brain worked a little differently, it helped me a lot. And I extrapolated that to, you know what? Everybody's brain is unique. So if we all understand how our brain works, 
then we learn better. And what AI brings to it is it's almost, it's almost ironic that a machine can make more personalized learning because with the right algorithms, it can adapt your content, your learning experience, everything, the learning, even the specific right. courses you take can adapt to that individual. And we're simply not taking enough advantage of technology that's already out there. Some, some people are, but that's really why I wrote the book, because I think a lot more could be done with it. Well, I, I'm an advisor on an AI company called Work Done, and I got really interested in this as well, like you, because there are so many applications, and I don't think people realize how much of this can be done and is done in a really good way. And I think, you know, early on, a lot of the pushback was, well, this is just going to take jobs. This mm. is, you know, people are just trying to replace somebody. And really, every time I looked at it, it was, no, we're trying to help people either get better, learn better, or remove the junk off of their desk so they can do real work, right? And I'm still a believer that we're either we'll never get there or we're very far off, like not in our lifetime. Right. Is a computer going to be able to sit and be strategic and to do these sort of deep thinking things, right, that we do as human beings? You know, oh, I think you're you're absolutely right about that. Now, computers are really great at one thing. They can see patterns. Right. And as a matter of fact, we would not have the COVID vaccines we have right now without the artificial intelligence that was able to accelerate. Uh, an army of humans could not have found the right combinations for the solutions we have now. And that's going to accelerate AI in every uh, line of work in every industry now because they learned a lot. They learned a lot of techniques as they right. were going through that. But what I do think we'll find as learning professionals is that we may not be replaced, but we might find ourselves working alongside a right. robotic or automated, almost a colleague, uh, an assistant, if you will, which, you know, to streamline our work and let us be more strategic. So preliminary analysis might come from a program in many well, industries, it already is. So why not learning out, and development? If anybody out there is is nerdy or geeky enough like me, that just sounds like Star Trek, right? Yeah. I mean, I've watched yeah, so many data. episodes. Well, not even data. Just I've watched so many episodes where they would talk with the computer. Computer, yeah. run this. Can you try this? Can you? And the computer was working in conjunction with them. And now data was sort of this, uh, you know, another storyline where this, you know, a robot becomes basically human um, in, in many ways. But... Uh, you know, there was this relationship between the computer could do all that work for them, but the human was still driving the, well, let's try this and let's let's apply it to that, right? And the computer was, okay, I can do patterns, I can do math, I can do this incredible heavy lifting. But even in, we talk about today, I mean, I think about how much AI is in my life right now. Well, I'm, learn, I'm learning Spanish. So I have yeah. Duolingo who is customizing lessons for me, deciding this. They're even using a bit of, competition. They're putting me in groups of people. So I, I try to get a little bit higher score. Do you know what I mean? And they're figuring out, like, I, I know they're figuring out people who are around my level that practice about what I do and yeah. putting them in a group so that I will be more competitive and practice a little harder. It's the same thing with Peloton. Yeah. They're, they're doing the same thing to me and they're, you know, and so, but this is all to help me, right? I'm learning a lot faster and I'm getting in better shape and I'm doing all these things in a way, like to your point, where it's sort of, it's something there to help me along my path. Right. Um, 
And it's interesting too, those examples are using neuroscience just as much because right. they're getting you that jolt of dopamine through the competition aspect and the social aspects. So they're using both sides of that uh, same coin of understanding yeah. neural networks. Yeah, and my only problem with all that is that sometimes I'm too tired at the end of the day and I'll avoid doing any real studying on Duolingo because I know they're going to get me and I know I'm going to do like 10 lessons because I'm not going to want to put it down until I've beaten, you know, so many people and gotten to the top of the list or whatever. And I'm like, there is a little bit of that. So I've figured out strategies. Well, I can just do these other activities and I won't look at the leaderboard today, you know, <laughs> because you're right, just they're, they've got me with that. I'm a pretty competitive person. So I'm, you know, I look get in there and I'm number six. Like, how do I get to number one? Yeah. My personal, you know, experience with it. But I guess if we translate that into where are most companies at right now when it comes to using AI and maybe specifically with their talent development? Well, it's that last part of the question that changes the answer. Because mm. if you just ask in general, what are most companies doing? They're all doing a lot of amazing things. Big companies whether they're in banking, insurance, financial planning, um, medical, the medical field is, we even have AIs that are analyzing x-ray scans and doing it more efficiently and faster than human beings, completing medical tests. There are uh, traffic control. And of course, we've been hearing about self-driving cars, you know, for a while. A lot of industries, even agriculture, agriculture is using AI to determine the best time to plant crops and the best time mm -hmm. to harvest them and, and the right soil composition. The applications are out there. What we see is very few applications in learning and development. Now there are some for sure. For example, in China, there are automated teachers. There are not enough teachers for the many, many children who need to be taught. And so a lot of children are interacting with an automated artificial intelligence teacher that assigns lessons, gives them coaching, gives them the next assignment. And it's very similar to your Peloton. It scales up and there's an algorithm that determines just how hard to make it. So it's challenging, but not too challenging. So they don't get discouraged, but there could be a lot more of it than what we're seeing. We have to look hard for the examples rather than seeing that it's yeah. And, you know, I've seen recently, I was reading Adam Grant's new book, uh, Think Again, and he has an example in there of an actual AI that is able to debate with a human being. So this is sort of a take on, you know, Watson was famously on Jeopardy and did fairly well. This is actually creating voice that can do research on the actual person who they're debating and be able to even use information they know about that. Not just It's not just debating on the topic and blindly doesn't matter who the, they research this AI. Who, who am I debating against? What's their record? How do they normally phrase their, their arguments? It was fascinating, right? That they could do all yeah. of that, you know, and, and give really good, you know, convincing arguments for this issue. Well, and so that brings up the whole question of the Turing test, because... At the beginning of computing, one of the great pioneers was, was asked, will we ever be able to make a machine that's as intelligent as a human? And his answer was, well, if you can build a machine that will fool half of the people, half, 50% of the humans engaging with it will think it's a human, we can deem it to be intelligent, you know, because we won't really know. How can you really know if that's a sentient being? Well, 
a lot of folks who work in the field say we can't really use that test anymore because we've already passed it. We already right. have these automated machines like that can win Jeopardy if that could have been set up in a way that you didn't know that was a machine. We are already fooled all the time with a help desk, a chatbot. Uh, that mm -hmm. is more than likely a program, not a human being behind it, but they give you the help you need, they get you where you need to be, who cares? So this whole idea that they can perform so well we can't tell the difference uh, creates a lot of intriguing possibilities. And I know it can get a little scary, but I'm kind of like you, for the most part, I think they're positive changes. Yeah. But one thing we no longer really have is that test because we've passed it, so now we have to move the bar farther yeah. and see what is it we're really trying to do. Well, you gave a great example about how AI really helped in the COVID fight. Mm -hmm. and, and I've really seen, uh, and, and there's quite a few books that mention what you also mentioned about reading test results, like x-rays mm -hmm. and MRIs, and they're able to far better yeah. because they can see patterns, they can see different, put it in different types of lighting, they can do things that the human eye can't do. But the thing that's great about AI is it doesn't get tired. Right. right? I mean, it, it works 24 seven. It right. can, you know, if you build a chatbot, your chatbot can be helping virtually unlimited number of people at the same time. You know, it doesn't have to put anyone on hold. Yeah. You know, while it's coming up with a solution. All those and That's things. the biggest issue for in the medical field is it's not the expertise. It's not that they don't have the wisdom. It's that they are overworked. They get tired. They get stressed. And so they, you know, things get missed. And I think probably too, there's a level of a doctor or a nurse or whoever is involved in your medical issue has a, has a ramp up time, right? They start off and they have to learn on the job. Well, the AI is programmed in advance. Yeah. <laughs> You're although, getting, it has although, to be trained as I know it, you know. It, it does, so, it, but at least yeah. it can be trained on old data, right? Yes. Whereas they bring in doctors. I mean, there's a pretty yeah, scary Yeah, they're practicing stat. on uh, real right. patience, yeah. Right, you know, it's like why do, why are the most deaths happen in July in hospitals? Because that's when the residents start fresh. That's when they come in new is in July. So okay, that's a scary. Isn't that a scary stat? Yeah. So if you ever find yourself in the hospital in July and a resident comes in, you send them right out the door and say, send in your boss. I'm not doing this. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, and and uh, that kind of goes back to the 10,000 hours to be an expert. Well, right. Right. A computer can get to that. It's really not a computer. It's a program. It's not right. the computer that's doing it. It's the program. That program can get to those 10 hours, 1,000 hours so much faster. Mm -hmm. So we really can build that expertise to where. Well, we I think they said it was actually overconfidence was the problem that most of these doctors had and their un mm -hmm. inability to be able to say, maybe I don't know and maybe yeah. I need help or maybe I need to ask somebody else or maybe I need to think about this differently. They come in just thinking they need to exude confidence and they need to, mm -hmm. you know, be, and then they end up being wrong. Sounds um, like a lot of new managers I've known in my uh, lifetime as well. Yeah, boy, that's a, uh, that, that strikes a chord. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, where are, you know, maybe what are some of the benefits of embracing or adopting AI for talent development. I mean, we have a lot of people on here that that's their job is talent development, right. out finding talent that are listening. What, what should they be thinking about? Is it, you know, it, applying it to the to resume bots? Is it, you know, to, to do better with interviews? I mean, where should they be putting some of this effort? Well, it's really sort of all of the above because once you start looking at it, there's nowhere in our process where it 
couldn't help. I think why would they look at it? First of all, is for sheer survival, because it's coming whether we want it or not. It's already here. It's in our daily lives. It's in our banking. It's in our traffic lights. It's in our food supply. It's in our medical care. And it's going to be in talent development as well. Start small, get educated, find out if your company may already have um, AI resources in other departments that you can tap into. You may already have people who are building applications that you could use in a little different way for talent development. Now, one of the issues that has come up, and I'm not sure we've even gotten close to the answer, is, you know, the problem with AI is that if it's garbage in, it's garbage out. So if you tell it, go find me this, and that's not really what you need, right? That's where the the human being kind of comes in. Because if you tell it, I need this specific person, and that's not really... You don't even know that if you thought about this other type of person, they could do an even better job for you than what you sort of programmed into it. I see a lot of things on social media with people that are created programs to help basically beat the bots or at least be able to meet the bots uh, expectations, right? Because a certain amount of the job posting needs to be into your resume in order to be, otherwise you're just sort of getting... You're just getting yeah. pushed off to the side, even if you were the best candidate. And now it's starting to be right now about who has the best resume. Mm-hmm. Which maybe it's, it's always been that way anyways, but go ahead. You know, we could do a whole program just on that. And the, yeah. that's actually a very blunt instrument. That type of AI is should be used simply as, you know, a, a sorting tool. It's not to make the final or even the decision or even the final cut. And yet, unfortunately, a lot of employers are using it that way. So the other thing we have to be aware of is what is this particular program good at and what isn't it good at? So far, most AI is not very good at nuance of any any type. So what you end up is very black and white, qualified, not qualified mm-hmm. t- types of decisions. And that's always dangerous. The yeah. other thing is human beings have programmed these things. And so they tend to program in their own unconscious biases. And that's been very well documented. Some pretty famous cases where the whole idea was to make it the process more fair. And we kept getting white males because white males accidentally programmed in their own biases for the ideal candidate. Right. And that's and that's going to be one of the challenges. And I'm, one of my fears is, is that the lawyers get a hold of this to the point that they it turns into something else and then we can't actually let this AI work its way to something really great that can can maybe meet, I, I, someone could make the argument that, you know, if there isn't the lawsuits and there isn't that push, then it, is, it won't ever get to the point where it can be great. But I guess we'll wait and see. You know, one of the things I did want to make sure we asked before we wrap this up here is, uh, is there a book that you're reading? Well, first tell us about your book, the name of your book, and then let us know if there's any other book that maybe you've been reading recently you think I want to check out. Well, AI and Talent Development is available from ATD Press. It's on Amazon, and uh, it's doing really well. We're very excited about it. That's my book. It's my uh, cover in the background, so you'll recognize it when you search for it. You know, Chris, I I read all the time. I mostly read scientific journals because by the mm. time a book comes out, it starts to get out of date fairly quickly. Now, to counter that with mine, I'm building a companion website where I will post updates. And so people who buy the book will will learn about that website. But I'd be happy to give you a short list that you can give to all your listeners of some recommendations. And uh, I'll send that to you because I know we're running out of time. Sure. And we'll try to post that into the 
you know, the post follow-up. And uh, I guess the final question is, how can people get a hold of you, find out more about you, uh, you know, if they're interested in learning more about the work that you do? Okay, well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, at Margie Meacham. I'm, uh, my website is learningtogo.info. That domain name's very important, so you find me, and there's a contact us uh, link there where you can send me an email. You can sign up for my website newsletter there as well. And uh, if anyone needs a little extra help, it's M-E-A-C-H-A-M, in case you weren't sure how to spell Meacham, because I know I would struggle if I was just hearing it. So Margie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, I know it went quick. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point, give us an update since, like you said, things move so quickly in this space. Maybe get us an update on all the cool new things that have been going on. And uh, again, thank you for being on the show. Great. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. We're right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in our next guest, Charlie Judy. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Margie Meacham, you can get her interview as well as this one and all the other interviews we have over the last seven years on TalentTalkRadio.com. You can subscribe there or go to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast to subscribe there and can make sure you never miss an episode. I'm going to bring in my next guest. Uh, he was on the Talent Talk show back in 2018. Seems doesn't even feel like it was that long ago, but I guess it was. And is currently a fellow recipient of the recognition on People Hum's most influential thought leaders to follow in 2020. Please welcome uh, back to the show, Charlie Judy, the in, uh, Intelligent Medical Objects Chief People and Culture Officer. Hey, Charlie, how are you doing? Going well, Chris. Thanks for uh, inviting me back. 2018 seems in in some ways like a lifetime ago. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, from a radio, the radio show's perspective, it seems like yesterday. From a life perspective, it forever. Yeah, who you are, what you're doing, what's important for everyone who's tuning in to know about you and your work. Yeah. Um, uh, well, again, thanks again for inviting me. I I, uh, I think if you know if we talked last in 2018, I was in a much different place from a. Uh, kind of a career and and day in day out focus. I had I had taken a hiatus from uh, kind of traditional corporate America, where I spent the first I don't know twenty years of my career um, mostly in the professional services space, uh, mostly as an HR leader, HR executive. At the very front end of my career, I was a, a CPA practicing in public accounting, um, and then kind of fell into HR, and that's where I've really been ever since. But that hiatus was was really about trying to experience uh, firsthand the technology realm, the startup realm. We ended up building a model for measuring or helping organizations measure workplace culture. Uh, and then we built a technology around that that uh, 
uh, facilitated that process and also provided um, a bunch of analytics. Really, really enjoyed that experience. I sold that company. And then in 2019, um, for all of the right reasons, thankfully decided to jump back into kind of my, my bread and butter, which is HR leadership and have been with IMO since then as their people and culture officer. So that's, that's where I am today. Uh, it stands for Intelligent Medical Objects. Uh, it, it is a, um, we, we, we provide a software that sits on um, all of the EHRs out there, uh, electronic health record systems. We're really an enabler of data. These EHRs have a lot of data in them, but mm-hmm. the uh, usability of that data, um, the reliability of that data, um, the consistency in that data, et cetera, et cetera, is, is really called into question. And our software helps solve that. It creates, it makes that data really fit for purpose, whether that purpose is uh, serving a patient uh, or analyzing population health or uh, any of the other reasons um, a provider may may want to do that. So uh, it's a cool space and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm part of it. So what are you seeing right now? Like it- if we were to kind of merge those two things together with, you know, culture and employee experience and all of that, how does that converge right now in 2021 with analytics and data? Um, I would say five, six years ago, I mean, the big thing we were seeing was, you know, this overutilization of, of metrics and data and, and, you know, managers would say, well, my top rep is making 20 calls. I want everyone to make 20 calls, right? And there was no like intelligence to it. There wasn't like a, well, yeah, your second rep is making 10 calls and doing the same, almost the same amount of work or same amount of output, right? It was sort of, I would say, not really measuring what mattered. They were, they were just looking at things and making up these, you know, kind of crazy expectations for people. And then I think, then there was a distrust of data, right? The employees sort of went, went the other direction. And I don't know, we now we've gone through COVID. What are you kind of seeing today? How do all those things playing together? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really an interesting parallel. I mean, I, I think I think a lot of this just has to do with kind of the data maturity curve. You know, if you, if you apply it to the to the realm of people and employee experience, I mean, I think we've all known professionally that data is important. We say that we 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 kind of pay it some lip service. Um, recently, you know, maybe the last five to ten years, we've started to get a lot more serious about it, and other organizations have matured at different paces, but. The first stage of that maturity is just getting the data. I mean, there you know there was a time obviously where we we just didn't even know what data meant, um, and and now we certainly have our fingertips on a hell of a lot more. Uh, but what you do with it, you know, that's that's the important piece, and that's a lot of the stuff that you're pointing to. I mean, frankly, some of that data that we've been generating either doesn't mean a whole lot, or we think it means something, and it pushes us in a direction which ultimately isn't the right direction to begin with. I mean, even if you think about how much emphasis we've placed on something like employee engagement, well, what's your employee engagement score? Okay, I mean, that's interesting, but do you really know why that score is what it is? Do you right. understand what a trend means? Are you really gathering that data in a way that's statistically significant? Can you can you take a snapshot once a year and say that that's all you need to do to measure what your employees are experiencing? You know, again, there is a need for us to get a lot smarter about what we're gathering, is that data reliable, and then what are we going to do with it? Well, and right now, I mean, I think data was a really important component of convincing a lot of the old school managers and the old school companies 
that remote work could work. It was really fascinating. For years, data was sort of this, I don't know, it was the bad guy in the room uh, for a lot of people. And suddenly it became the good guy. And it was, well, look, calls have gone up, right? And, and scores have gone up. And the amount of time in the CRM has gone up. And the amount of time that we're spending with clients, you know, has gone up. And, and you know, I was like, well, why is that? Well, because people aren't spending two hours in traffic each way, right? Yeah. They're using that time to work. They are able to talk to more clients because they don't have to get on a plane just to go see one. They can talk to 15 in a day, right? And there's all these sort of great stories that as someone who cares a lot about remote work, um, it was it was kind of cool to see the data turned on upside down just to kind of be helpful for the employees. Um, yeah, but in, you know, what's in interesting that. about that, though, is that still, I mean, you, you know, you can use data, theoretically, you can use data to prove any side of an argument that you want. <laughs> Well, right. we can, that's always, that's been a time immemorial, right? I mean, that's like, you can always flip a coin. I used to be in like debate club, right? Flip a coin, you take pro, you take, you take that side. Can, right, right, right. I mean, right. same kind of thing, right? But what really complemented that data that you just described around remote and then brought it to life was that we actually had to live it. We, we still had to have that experience. I think that's the other really important part about any sort of workforce analytics that we're trying to gather is that, I mean, that's, it's simply piece of the story. You, I mean, no data point, I don't care how beautiful your dashboard is. That That's only the beginning of the story, right? Like you, you have to take the time to get into that and to understand what's behind that. And, and that's likely not going to come from a data point. That's going to come from really getting into the conversations and the observations and the firsthand experiences that data is empirical. It helps prove or support your story, but it right. is not the story in and of itself. Well, and I think what you're talking about is that individual story. And I, there may be this large set of, of data that proves a point, but I think the point you're making, and I can think of a good example, is I've, I've got a CEO friend who's, you know, runs a really large international organization. He's got people all around the world. And he admitted to me, like, the data says everyone's doing better remote, but the reason we're going to keep remote around, he said, it's because I, I mean, it was his personal experience. It's like, I'm on a video call with people that I usually would talk to once a year because I would go to their site and see them. I would talk to them on the phone here and there and have emails all the time, but I'm seeing their, their faces. And he says, it has totally changed everything about their organization to start yeah. having these real personal conversations all the time with his top people, you know, and all around the world that they've been able to get so much more done and come up with such better solutions to things than yep. they ever did because they were sort of like regulate, regu uh, not regulated. Uh, they were sort of stuck in this idea. Well, I have to go, I have to fly to this place and then we will sit and have meetings for a week, right? <laughs> Just yeah. to do this stuff. Well, you know, it's what's, what I like, about, I like about that is, and, and we've experienced this firsthand at, at IMO. You know, I, I, I think we, we've been talking about the value of or kind of, you know, what we're all saying now is a hybrid workplace. We, we've all been talking about that. Always the obstacle is, 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 is really for a leader to get their head around, but what's really, what does that really mean? Right? Like, I mean, we can plan for that. We can have policies. We can have guidance. We can have, but what, what, what's the real impact of, 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 of implementing? And one of the things, and, and, and this is kind of another 
you know, kind of topic that's been interesting to me lately is this whole notion of kind of anti-fragile, which is really exploiting and becoming stronger because of the ambiguity and the change and the disruption out there. And I think that's a lot of what we learned, or we learned the value of that in this COVID age, in that we were forced to go figure it out, right? And, And even those people that had, that were naysayers, soon experienced that we could figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't because we had a policy. It wasn't because we had a webinar and you know taught everybody how to do it. It was because we empowered every individual in the organization to go be effective at this. Let's figure it out. Nobody knew that we were going to have to do that. And sometimes I think that's the best way to implement change in the workplace is to just yeah. go figure it out. Like just go figure it out. We are smart human beings. We hire smart human beings ostensibly. Let's go figure it out. Well, and and who were the people that needed remote work originally, right? They were the people that had a very small budget, maybe a startup, you know, someone trying to get their company up off the ground, you know, out of their garage or out of their you know, spare room. Right? It was necessity that brought remote work. And then they saw the value and they kept it going. But for the average company, there's no need, right? I'll just keep bringing people in. Now, I would argue that there was some need. There was a talent. A lot of people had talent droughts in their area. And so remote work allows you to, but then they would just go open an office somewhere else. Right? That was sort of their solution. Well, we'll open one in, in that some other city and we can get talent there. But, you know, I think that for us, it's always been, we can get great talent for less money uh, anywhere in the country, right? We don't have to worry about the, they have to be where I'm located. Uh, and so it was always a, a great thing. Uh, you know, there's not everything is easy, but to your point, you got to go back and figure it out. But that necessity was a big thing. And I think it, certainly that has been the case for so many of the best inventions, the best bits of progress probably in in in, in all of humanity, right, is is necessity sort of pushed us to, to have to figure that out. And uh, yeah, well, I would posit that most most organizations now um, will have to define that necessity a little bit differently than they have before. I mean, I think I think this. This is now part of the experience uh, mm-hmm. and expected experience, and so it's 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 no longer a, an ROI. It's a, it's a you know must have. And I was thinking about this from a geez, they're going to see that this is better. Uh, they can have all these wonderful things that come along with it. Employees, especially once their kids go back to school, will realize geez how much more effective they could be because that was that's always been our experience. The, the risk to some degree, though, is that you go, you swing too far on, you know, in the other mm-hmm. direction. I mean, certainly that's something that we're, we're paying a lot of attention to because we, we also know that something that's core to our own culture doesn't necessarily work for everybody. It works for us is, is that stronger community, is that stronger FaceTime, is that ability to be in the room together. Um, and we don't want to lose that entirely. In fact, we want to, we want to, we want to preserve it um, and, and augment it because we know it's been a success factor for us. So, right. you know, finding that balance is, is the next challenge. Yeah. And I guess the pushback would be just, you know, because it's been a good thing in the past for any organization doesn't mean you can't have a new, better or new, different, right. Positive. That's different. It doesn't have to be, I think that's the mistake we make, right. Is it something worked once. Right. And then it's like, well, I don't, I, I want it to be that same way all the time. Cause I'm comfortable with it. I mean, I imagine yeah. how, how many people said, I have no problem riding my horse to the store. It works just fine. Yeah. Right. And I don't need that car. <laughs> yeah. I just, but I think so. So to, to, to just for the sake of discussion, because I think that's the interesting part of this. I mean, but I do I do think we shouldn't we shouldn't assume 
that, I mean, some people just like riding a horse, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I just like, I've always liked being around people. That's something that's important for me. And I've, I haven't necessarily thrived in this environment. I can't wait till we all get back into the office together. That's not everybody, but I would, I would suggest that some people sign up for the organization because that is indeed part of it. So there are just as many people that, that benefit from a remote experience that, that do from, or the opposite way, benefit from a, a face experience, a brick and mortar experience than a, than a remote experience. We have to pay attention to the individual as well, not just the corporation. Yeah, and I think all the data that we certainly have looked at over the years says that anyone that values, from an employee standpoint, remote work, they value work-life balance more than they value uh personal satisfaction, right? That, that the engagement of being around people because in a non-COVID time, you can go get your people time in some other place, right? You can yeah. volunteer, you can coach, you can get that thing you're talking about. It doesn't have to be at work, but what people value at work is I can take my kid to the doctor. I can be gone for an hour and it's not a big deal. I eliminate all those social pressures of why isn't that person at their desk? And do they leave before the boss leaves? And do, are they the first one in, the last one? All that kind of stuff. And instead, shifting the metric to what is their output, right? We've, we've come up with these goals, these KPIs. Are they meeting them? Are they beating them? That was the epiphany to me when we went remote in 2009. As I realized, I, we were making these judgments, some of our judgments about our people, based on things that didn't matter. They were yeah. just visual cues, right? Yeah. And, when we, and when we eliminated all that, it was all just about what is that output? What is that thing? It was like, oh, we were wrong about who our best employees were. There's a clear, it was one example. We thought our best employee in the department, when we actually measured them correctly, they were our worst employee in the department. We shouldn't even have had them around. We should have fired them five years ago. We were using all the wrong metrics in our head. And that was yeah. based on us being together, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that goes back to the conversation that we started, which was Everybody wants more data. Be careful what you ask for. I mean, you know, make sure, <laughs> make sure that, that it's the right data. One of the uh, interesting things I read today was that some people don't want to go back to work for a reason that I hadn't even considered. And so it wasn't that they wanted flexibility or remote work. It's that they don't trust other people around them yet. From a safety amount, and health perspective? From a, from a safety and health perspective. And I think we've always had a level of this, these people that don't wash their hands, that will sneeze and not cover their mouth, right? That don't have very good, you know, habits that way. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been like in a public restroom and you see someone walk in, go to the restroom, and then they just, they don't even wash their hands or they just put some water on it, walk out the door and you go, oh, how many people have they just infected with, if they've got something, right? I mean, there's this level of lack of personal response that some people have. And then you add in the fact that they could be spreading COVID. If Do they have the vaccine? Do they not have it? Do they, right? And so- now companies are going to have to think about how they're going to handle that, right? Yeah. Even if this isn't a choice thing, this is not a future of work thing. This is a health and safety thing. Yeah. How, yeah, how do you yeah. think companies should should maybe begin to think about that part of it? Yeah, you know, again, I mean, I, I think it starts with, I think it starts with the individual. I, th I think the organization should have, you know, kind of a, a vision for what hybrid looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, they probably need to, you know, and I'm actually, I'm just talking firsthand experience, right? We're in the middle of this right now. I mean, you know, I think you got to put a stake in the ground. People want to know what we're marching towards, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think, I think if you give them, 
the destination, but not necessarily every road to take or turn to make that, you know, ultimately they'll, they'll get there. For us, the destination is we, we start to live in a world where, where you're no longer an office employee or a remote employee. You're both. When you're where has, has a lot to do with a lot of factors. Some of them are really personal. Some, some of them are important to you. One of those factors may be, as you just described, Chris, like I just am less comfortable coming into the office as much as I used to. Okay, that's cool. We got to figure that out. Right. But then there's some other, the other side of that is, yeah, but there are some times where we believe it is important for everybody to be in the office or for your team to be in the office or for your work group to be in the office. And here are the reasons for that. How do we make that work? Right. But that's not a recipe that's going to work for every function within our business, every team that's within our business. We just want to get to a point where location is really no longer a part of the equation. And we're all committed to being together when we need to be and allowing for you to work wherever the heck you need to work every minute in between. I mean, that that for us is kind of our approach. Well, and there's so many companies, especially if you look at medium to large size organizations where someone on your team is traveling, some managers in some sure. different location and going. And so I, I'm really hoping that this, you know, the silver lining here is this has pushed everyone to understand how to meet, how to you know, conduct these meetings in a better way. I mean, I, if you remember you know, just a few years ago, being on these really crappy phone conference lines, right? And people coming in and getting dropped and couldn't hear them and the dogs, I mean, it was, people were really kind of struggled to do those, but yet that was like a pretty common way to be meeting with your team. If you had people, you know, gone or whatever, or you're meeting with a client, seems like we've kind of upped our game. We've elevated a little bit. And what I've been kind of reminding people about with hybrid work is hybrid is remote. It's just that you may have people physically in the office and yeah, they can talk and they can go to lunch together and they can have some of that human interaction. But if you've got at least one other person who's not there that day, then they're going to be on the Zoom or the Teams or whatever it is, just like you would if you were all out of the office. I think the hypersensitivity to, you know, let's just say viruses yeah. is not going anywhere anytime soon. I and mean, we've all been educated on the way things can, can go. Um, and I, I, I think that's going to be part of what organizations have to solve for. I mean, first and foremost, we always have to make sure we're providing for the safety and security of our people. And, and that now means different things than it did, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Well, if you just look at what, uh, how the flu drastically declined in the last year, because people wore masks, because people washed their hands, because people yeah. did some very basic things, right? So yeah. we can we could probably have a huge impact on the health of our country, of our communities, or whatever by like being better at this stuff, whether whether yeah. COVID is hanging over our head or not. I think and, I think that's absolutely on spot. I, I know that we're thinking a lot more about well-being, physical, financial, mental, social, you know, yeah. all of that stuff because we we are in tune with how important that is today uh, and will continue to be, I think, going forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what other things are you kind of seeing, uh, you know, that maybe organizations should be thinking about right now, especially maybe around trying to create and cultivate, you know, a good culture uh, or, or good engagement experience? What sort, what sort of things are, are you guys focused on here uh, in the coming months to, to really kind of maybe address some of the challenges you're seeing coming down the road? 
This is going to sound a little bit like a cop out, and I know we don't have a whole lot of time here, but so it's it's kind of convenient that I I say what I say. I really just I, I just think I think ninety percent of the challenges that we face in the workplace, when it comes to employee experience, could be addressed directly and indirectly by just having better conversations. Let's just have better conversations with one another. Let's have meaningful, direct, candid conversations with one another. Let's do that often. Let's pay attention. Let's listen. Let's 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 hear what our our people are telling us. What, what do they need? How do we respond to that? Let's look at the individual. And the best way to do that is to have better conversations. I know it sounds a little bit wishy-washy, but sometimes we need a little bit more of that in the workplace. It's some wishy-washy, good old-fashioned human interaction. And I think, you know, if I would maybe assign that as the numerator here of this, uh, you know, fraction, maybe the denominator for me would be time. I noticed that the com- good conversations went up with vendors, with clients, with applicants, everything, because we all had a little bit more time, right? Yeah. Business got a little slower. Things were a little bit different. We weren't, we were home more often, right? We may be working a little more hours or whatever it was, but I had a lot more time in 2020 to have those conversations and people were willing to have them with me, which was probably the, the, the bigger part of it, right? They were willing to slow down. We 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 added like five partnerships, I think, this last year. That's the most we've ever added in one year because they were actually willing to slow down and talk to us finally, right? Because they were so busy all the time. Yeah, that's and interesting. I, you know, I don't know if you're you're seeing that or not. It's an interesting point of view. I mean, I think you're 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 sharing it from from kind of the other side of the the table. I, I think people have been more thoughtful in how they use their time. Um, certainly from an employee perspective. This took us a while, but I think people are now realizing that, you know, a Zoom meeting for the sake of having a Zoom meeting is not necessarily the most productive thing in the world. Right. So we got like, we got to be more thoughtful about it. Well, I really appreciate you coming back on the show again today uh, today, and and being back with us. And it sounds like your new role is going great. How can people find out more about you, you know, about your uh, thought leadership and, in HR and HR tech, and and more about your organization as well. All the normal channels, man. I'm not as active as I used to be in some of the social, on some of the social platforms. But you know, link in with me. Happy to connect. IMO is uh, imohealth.com, and yeah, I'd love to continue the conversation in any way. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hopefully, our listeners got something, uh, you know, they can use in their own work and their lives uh, from listening to our conversation today. And, you know, hopefully we can have you come back uh, sooner than than in two or three years, whatever it's been uh, for the next one. That'd be awesome. You're doing great work here. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in and listening to today's show. Uh, until then, until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.